Hello and welcome to edition number 1993 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 11th of January 2024. I'm Jean, this week's editor. Beside me at the recording controls is Gavin Smalley. Our items today are from the Whitney Gazette. Our four readers are Melissa Ellis, Byron Russell, Jenny Wiley and John Ashwell. I've divided the first article about flooding into sections for our first three readers. Firstly, Melissa will read about pubs and Cotswold canoe hire. Flooding closes pub as farmers call for action. There's a photograph with the article which shows the Maybush pub at Newbridge with water lapping at the ground floor windows. Storm Henk, followed by intense heavy rain, caused flooding across West Oxfordshire, closing roads and lanes and forcing a pub to shut. The greatest impact was felt around the River Thames, where business owners were counting the cost. Sharon Busby, manageress of the Maybush pub at Newbridge, near Whitney, said water from the river began entering the building on Thursday night, January the 4th. She said, the water started seeping through the floor and was squelching around the decking. There's no major damage. We lost a bit of furniture and we've got the furniture piled up now. We've been closed for a couple of days because the high water level, which is too close to the drains. We can't trade without toilets as it's a health and safety issue. But she added, yes, we're fed up, but it wasn't as bad as the February 2021 floods. The top of the pub and kitchen are fine. It happens on a frequent basis, but we have flood defences and pumps. It's been worse in the past. I feel for people who had water in their homes. We managed to avoid that. The manager of the Rose Revived on the opposite side of the bridge over the Thames, Craig Rose, said water had come into the garden, but not into the building. We've got flood defences, so we've got sandbags and floodgates out, he said. Edith Cameron, who owns Cotswold Canoe Hire in Letchlade, shared footage of her business where flood water was moving in strong currents. She said, I tried to empty the water but realised there was no point because as soon as I got rid of water in one location, it would just come back up through the floor. She said it was still completely flooded on Saturday, adding, it's really sad, it's devastating. It's going to take quite a while for us to even think about clearing up as the water level is so high. Secondly, Byron will read about flooding problems for farmers as well as in Crawley and Whitney. Meanwhile, a farmer saw his fields flooded for the second time in seven years. Ollie Stobo, who farms 500 acres of land at Stonesfield, said... We had 60 acres underwater, and it stopped us from planting our autumn crop. If it doesn't dry out, we won't be able to plant again until September. It started to recede, and it's a waiting game now. We had sheep marooned in a field. We got them out a few days before the water reached its height, because the river levels were rising so quickly. Mr Stobo, a third-generation arable farmer, said initiatives such as creating wetland habitats to take the river even loads floodwaters would be too slow to have an effect. He faces a significant loss of profit and wants immediate action from the Environment Agency. If they dredged and cleared the rivers like they used to, 
the water would run out, but they seem not to do that, so it stays in the countryside, and we're not getting compensated for it, he said. However, he remains determined not to give up. We just want the policymakers to make the right decision, he said. Around Whitney, there was flooding in Crawley, with some flood water on Dry Lane, although the roads remained passable. Crawley Parish Councillor Mark McCappin said Thames Water had sent lorries to the pumping station in the village to prevent sewage overspill into the river. He said, We have had tankers in the village every day in the last few weeks. In the last few days, there may have been some blockage in the sewer in Dry Lane and the manholes beside some properties have been full and overflowing. There was flooding in fields around Whitney and residents at risk around Bridge Street put out sandbags and floodgates to protect their properties and Haley Road was flooded for a time, although the water later subsided. It caused some residents to raise concerns about plans for new homes in flooded areas. And there are a couple of pictures of uh, a tanker and a couple of cars bravely ploughing through the waters around Crawley. Jenny will now read about flooding in Mitster Lovell and Whitney. Priscilla Clayton shared pictures of flood water in fields in Minster Lovell where Catsby Strategic Land Limited is appealing against the council's refusal of its application to 134 homes. She said, I took photos from my house looking into the field where the proposed plan is. You can clearly see the surface water in the field and puddles in my garden. We've not been able to mow our lawn since the beginning of October as the ground has been soggy for the last three months. Lydia Arkis-Freshka, West Oxfordshire District Council Cabinet Member for Environment, said the EA flood zone maps show there there are some properties at risk of river flooding in the centre of Whitney, only as a consequence of very significant flood events such as in 2007 and, and in 2020. Facing the onset of climate change and increasing probability of flood events, WODC have engaged with the Environment Agency and Oxfordshire County Council to ensure that Whitney is fully considered for a flood defence system that would provide appropriate flood protection. The current level of defence is provided by the existing floodplains, periodic maintenance of the river Windrush and the use of sandbags. Ultimately, a preferred way of dealing with flooding is to slow rivers and streams by developing natural flood management schemes upstream. She said, adding that the council is already working with partners on these. A spokesperson for the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs said since 2015, more than 850 flood defence projects have been completed, protecting homes, infrastructure and more than 700,000 acres of agricultural land, while £25 million has been allocated to a new natural flood management scheme. Here's a story about water from a different angle from John. Headed no surprise after sewage hits swim. Wild swimmers 
said it was no surprise when they had to cancel their New Year's Day swim as the sewage treatment work upstream had been discharging since the early hours in the morning. Like thousands across the country who enjoy a festive dip on Boxing Day and New Year's Day, Oxford swimmers used to flock to the Airman's Bridge in Wolvercote. But on this day, or on this New Year's Day, sewage had been pumping into the water from the Finstock Sewage Treatment Works since 3.30am. The discharges flow into the River Evenlode and that flows into the Thames and Wolvercote Mill Stream. Madeleine Metcalf, who lives in Meadow Prospect, said, I was, re- I was really looking forward to the annual New Year's Day swim at the bathing place in Wolvercote. But yet again, more illegal sewage discharging into our beautiful rivers has ruined plans. Mike Benson, who normally would swim in the Thames, said, It's no less disgusting or disgraceful, just because it's expected. In December, the Wolvercote Mill Stream, which achieved designated bathing water status in April 2022, was rated poor for a third consecutive year, with the Environment Agency advising people to avoid swimming in it. If it, raised, if it is ranked poor for the five consecutive years, it could lose its special status. Wolvercote Councillor Joe Sandelson was a member of Burr Swimming Group who shone a spotlight on the issue when they were forced to cancel both their Boxing Day River Drip in 2021. Thames Water Company were discharging sewage from Whitney on Christmas Day. She said the sewage discharging up to several hours or even a day's worth at a time is becoming increasingly unacceptable to residents. It's destroying our wildlife habitat, our well-being. Even if we aren't river users, we've had enough of our rivers and waterways being turned into open sewers, she said. A Thames water spokesperson said it was the first company to provide live alerts for all untreated discharges and to make this data available as a map on its website and through an open data platform for third parties, such as swimming and environmental groups, to use. She said, We regard all discharges as unacceptable, and we have published plans to upgrade over 250 of our sewage treatment works and sewers, including Finstock STW. In 2023, the first round of upgrades at Finstock STW were completed to ensure higher quality of treated effluent that was going into the river. Next week, further upgrades will commence to increase capacity in the storm tanks, which is expected to be completed this year. Art teacher throws himself into pottery show. An Oxfordshire art teacher is competing on Channel 4's The Great Pottery Throwdown. The new series started on Sunday night and features Stephen Broughton, 33, a ceramic artist and art and design teacher at Abingdon and Whitney College. Newly married, he grew up in Oxfordshire and studied fine art at Kingston University in London. He first tried pottery on a Greek holiday six years ago and his favourite person to pot with is his three-year-old daughter. He was one of 12 home potters tackling the first challenge, which was to make a roast dinner set, 
including a gravy boat, side plate, condiment pot and salt and pepper shakers. Each set had to have elements in common to show that they are a set. Stephen's set was inspired by his nan's home, where he spent many Sundays as a child enjoying her roast dinners. The show is presented by Siobhan McSweeney and judged by Rich Miller and Keith Brimer-Jones, who was often moved to tears by the Potter's creations. And the next headline is Cost of Childcare to County Families Revealed. New figures show the cost of childcare for parents in Oxfordshire. The government made expanding free childcare a key pledge in last year's budget in the drive to help parents back into the workforce. Parents earning below £100,000 a year can claim 15 hours of free care for children aged 3 or 4, but this will expand to two-year-olds from April. However, a children's charity has said parents are still being locked out of work by expensive rates. Ellen Broom, the Managing Director of Coram Family and Childcare, said high costs had been an issue in the sector for many years. She said, At a time when family budgets are under extreme pressure, the cost of childcare is making it near impossible for families to increase their income by working more hours. And too many parents, particularly mothers, are effectively locked out of work as they can't make the sums add up. Across the southeast, average childcare costs for two-year-olds increased by 5.2% to £6.38 an hour. England, as a whole, has seen a 6.5% jump in fees. Ms Broom continued, High-quality childcare is key social infrastructure. It helps parents work and narrows the gaps between poorer children and their more affluent peers. She welcomed the expansion of free care this spring, but said bringing prices down and making it accessible will be key, particularly when it comes to helping disadvantaged children. Separate figures from the Office for National Statistics show employment rates among young parents, particularly mothers, are significantly lower than their peers. As of 2021, just under half of mothers with a child aged two or younger were in work rising to just 55% for those with a toddler aged 3 to 4. A Department for Education spokesman said their plans could save eligible parents £6,500 per year on average. They said, We want to ensure eligible families can benefit from this transformative offer as soon as possible, while ensuring parents and providers are prepared. That is why the first stage of the new offer will start in April and working parents can register for a place now. This article is headed Hotel Among UK's Coziest Seasonal Spots and is illustrated by a welcoming fire, open fire, with two pints of beer waiting on a table nearby. A charming hotel surrounded by farmland in the Oxfordshire countryside has been deemed one of the cosiest winter breaks for 2024. The artist's residence in South Lee has been recognised nationally as the place to go in this area for staycations. It features rooms with rustic and colourful decor alongside a traditional rural pub, dining room and large terrace garden. 
According to online reviews, the interior includes high-beamed ceilings and freestanding bathtubs and various inglenook fireplaces. The 16th century thatched inn has three bedrooms in some of the farm's former outbuildings and you can also book the shepherd's hut at the bottom of the garden at the station road site. A review reads, A handsome thatched manor house in a remote village in the West Oxfordshire countryside. Artist residence is a gorgeous hideaway with plenty of rural appeal. Here's another item about a hotel this time one still in the planning stage and it's headed plans to convert the barn into a new eight-suite hotel plans are underway to convert one redundant agricultural barn into a new eight-suite hotel the scenic Cotswolds in Oxfordshire might soon be home to the proposed development in land at Rye Hill Farm in Kingham near Chipping Norton A planning application has been lodged outlining plans for new parking, reception and meeting room. A ground floor layout plan for the building suggests each room in the new hotel would contain a bathtub, terrace and a sitting room, among other facilities. Comments on a drainage response report released this week state no flooding history for the site. The report requested confirmation as to whether the existing building had any surface water drainage in place. An associated application for Ryehill Farm seeks to convert two agricultural barns into holiday lets and a third into a leisure facility to, to service the holiday accommodation, including a swimming pool, gym and deli with cafe facilities. There has also been a request to add six more car parking spaces to the site, which will bring the total up to 12. A planning statement for the application says there would be a cycle parking provision present too. Kingham was last dubbed the second least affordable picturesque place to move to in the UK in a study. Now for the editor's choice. It's about positive thinking. I wanted to talk about optimism today. One definition is hopefulness and confidence about the future or the success of something. I'm an optimist and usually forecast that things will turn out all right. I think I annoy my husband sometimes, but I can't help it. That's who I am. Wikipedia states that optimism is an attitude reflecting a belief or hope that the outcome of some specific endeavour or outcomes in general will be positive, favourable and desirable. A common idiom used to illustrate optimism versus pessimism is a glass filled with water to the halfway point. An optimist is said to see the glass half full, while a pessimist sees the glass as half empty. Researchers have discovered direct links between optimism and better cardiac health, a stronger immune system, better lung function, mindfulness, compassion, kindness, and having a strong sense of purpose in life. Now, a new study reports that men and women with the highest levels of optimism have a 10 to 15% longer lifespan on average than those who practice little positive thinking. Here's a story about optimism told by Matthew Washington, a recruitment manager in Denver. 
He calls it Two Travellers. There was once a traveller who was walking from a village in the mountains to a village in the valley. As he walked along, he saw a monk working in a field. So he stopped and said to the monk, I'm on my way to the village in the valley. Can you tell me what it's like? The monk looked up from his labour and asked the man where he had come from. I've come from a village in the mountains. What was it like? the monk asked. Terrible, the man exclaimed. No one spoke my language. I had to sleep on a dirt floor in one of the houses. They fed me some sort of stew that had yak or dog or both in it, and the weather was atrocious. Then I think you will find the village in the valleys much the same, the monk noted. A few hours later, another traveller came by, and he said to the monk, I'm on my way to the village in the valley. Can you tell me what it's like? Where have you come from? asked the monk. From the village in the mountains. And what was that like? It was awesome, the man replied. No one spoke my language, so we had to communicate by using our hands and facial expressions. I had to sleep on the dirt floor, which was really cool, as I've never done that before. They fed me some sort of weird stew, and I have no idea what was in it, but just to experience how the locals lived was great, and the weather was freezing cold, which meant that I had really got a taste of local conditions. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Then I think you'll find that village in the valley is much the same, responded the monk. It's been said that life is 10% what happens to us, and 90% how we respond. Here's another story told by Pedro Pablo Sacristan, a Spanish author, especially bedtime stories for children. It shows how negative thoughts can be turned to positive ones. It's called Art Town. Mickey was a nice, cheerful, optimistic lad. No one could remember him being angry. He didn't mind what people said to him. He seemed incapable of insulting anyone. Even his teachers admired his good disposition, which was so unusual that a rumour went around that Mickey's goodness must be due to some special secret. One afternoon, he invited his favourite teacher, Mr Anthony, to tea. When they'd finished, Mickey showed Mr Anthony around the house. When Mickey opened his bedroom door, the teacher stopped. Then a big smile spread across his face. The huge far wall was a unique collage of thousands of colours and shapes. It was the loveliest decoration Mr Anthony had ever seen. Some people at school imagine I never think badly of anyone, Mickey started to explain, and that nothing at all bothers me, and that I never want to insult anyone. But that's not true at all. I'm just like anyone else. I used to get as annoyed as all the other kids, but years ago... With the help of my parents, I started a small collage. I could use any kind of material and colour for it. With every little piece I stuck on, I added some bad thought or act. It was true. The teacher looked closely at the wall. In each one of the small pieces, he could read, in tiny letters, fool, idiot, pain, bore, and a thousand other negative things. This is how I started turning all of my bad times into an opportunity to add to my collage. Now, I like the collage so much that each time someone annoys me, I couldn't be happier. They've given me a new piece for my work of art. 
The teacher never forgot how an ordinary boy had shown him that the secret to having a cheerful and optimistic character is to convert the bad times into a chance to smile. Without telling anyone, on that very day, Mr Anthony began his own collage. He would welcome it so he, sorry he would recommend it so often to his students that years later they called that neighbourhood Art Town. Each house contained its own magnificent works of art made by those cheerful and optimistic children. Now lastly I have a story about myself. I was born in Kent and after working elsewhere for several years moved into a small village in West Kent where I had lots of friends and lived happily for 33 years. On February the 7th, 2020, I had a procedure and was advised not to do anything strenuous for several weeks. I was feeling a little fragile. The following day, after weeks of rain, some of it torrential, water levels rose to the step to our front door. This was not unusual, but we were somewhat nervous as it was still raining. Suddenly, water was streaming into the house and before we knew it, levels were 12 inches over the whole ground floor. That's about 30 centimetres. The insurers were brilliant and got workmen in very quickly to strip out plaster from the interior walls and take away all of the downstairs furniture and appliances. They also provided dehumidifiers. We lost many carloads of books, Precious photos, music, equipment for hobbies, clothes, shoes, all going to the tip. Then Covid struck, and workmen were not allowed to come in to make repairs. We lived in difficult circumstances in our downstairs rooms for three months, but covered the walls with coloured crepe paper and balloons to make the place look more cheerful. We bought garden chairs, small tables and bright, cheap rugs. We had, in fact, already been thinking of moving to Oxfordshire to be closer to children and grandchildren. We knew, though, that it would take years to sort out and rationalise everything that we'd collected over 33 years. The flood, devastating as it was at the time, accelerated the process of relocating considerably, as we had much less to sort out, and we moved to Whitney the following year. Strange though it may seem, I bless that flood... We live our life here in Whitney. We love our life here in Whitney. The house, the neighbours, being close to family and our new activities. Every cloud does really have a silver lining. Here's the quiz. Firstly, the questions and answers from our last edition on the 4th of January. Number one. What word do Scottish people give for the last day of the year and its celebration? Hogmanay, thank you. Number two. In which European country is it a tradition to jump from a chair just before midnight and also smash plates against friends' doors? Denmark. Apparently so. Number three, on New Year's Day, 1993, which former country effectively split into two? Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia, well done. Number four, 
What name was given to the predicted computer meltdown at the beginning of the year 2000? Well done. Everybody got that, the millennium bug. And number five, which English author, born on New Year's Day 1879, wrote A Passage to India? Ian Forster. Well done. And this week's quiz questions, partly because of the flooding items that we've already had, um, I've tailored these to all relate to climate change. Number one, how many people in the world are vulnerable to the effects of climate change? I'll give you three options. A, 4 million. B, 40 million. C, 4 billion. Number two, if the global temperature rises by over 1.5 degrees Celsius, what percentage of species will be at risk of extinction? Got four choices here. A, 100%. B, 15 to 20%, that is at least one in six species. C, 10 to 15%, that's one in... 10 species will be at risk, or D, zero, no species will be at risk. Question number three. Which three of the following are fossil fuels? A, coal, B, natural gas, C, oil, D, wood. Question number four. Name the gas that is responsible for 75% of the warming effect from greenhouse gases. And number five. In which European city did 196 nations agree on a landmark global plan to curb climate change in December 2015? Got three choices here. A. Vienna. B. Paris. C. Rome. Time for the notice board. Firstly, we'd like to wish Mr Frank Walker of Great Rollwright a happy 88th birthday for the 12th of January. Unfortunately, the Whitney Gazette has eight death notices this week. Therefore, John Balderstone, known to many as football referee on the bike, peacefully at a care home in Kent on 29th of December, aged 91 years. Funeral at South Oxfordshire Crematorium on Wednesday, 24th of January at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations to Dementia UK. Brian Joseph Buckingham, suddenly at home on the 21st of December, aged 87 years. Funeral at North Oxfordshire Crematorium, Tackley, on Tuesday the 16th of January at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations to Helen and Douglas House. Mark Cook, suddenly at home, on the 9th of December, aged 62 years. Funeral at North Oxfordshire Crematorium on Wednesday the 10th of January at 11am. 
family flowers only. Donations to Action on Addiction, Homeless Oxfordshire or NACOA. Brian Fayers, peacefully, at the John Ratcliffe Hospital on the 30th of December, aged 82 years. Funeral at St Kellam's Church, Minster Lovell. On Thursday the 18th of January, it's 12 noon. Family flowers only. Donations to St Kellam's Church. Diana Anne Garner, peacefully, aged 79 years. Funeral at South Oxfordshire Crematorium on Tuesday the 15th of January at 11am. Family flowers only. Donations to British Heart Foundation. Margaret Anne Hardiman, peacefully at home on the 4th of January, aged 88 years. Funeral at St James's Church, Aston on Saturday the 13th of January at 11am. Family flowers only. Donations to the Dogs Trust. Janice Hinnigan, on the 17th of December, aged 81. Service at St John's Church, Carterton, on the 23rd of January at 12.15. And at the North Oxfordshire Crematorium at 2pm. Peter John Hurst, peacefully at home on the 22nd of December, aged 82 years. Funeral at Our Lady and St Hugh's Roman Catholic Church, Whitney, on Monday the 15th of January at 11am. Family flowers only. Donations to Pulmonary Fibrosis Trust. And lastly, we have the Torch Fellowship announcement, which reads as follows. The Whitney Torch Fellowship for the Visually Impaired meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm in the Welcome Church, High Street, Whitney. New members are very welcome. Contact 01993-891-639. Museum to launch new exhibition on Holocaust. An Oxfordshire museum is opening a permanent exhibition showing the transformative power of a simple act of kindness amid the horrors of the Holocaust. The exhibit at the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum, titled Naomi and Arthur, Letters from Liberation, centres on the connection between an Oxfordshire yeomanry soldier, Arthur Tyler, and an Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen survivor, Naomi Kaplan. In the aftermath of the Bergen-Belsen camp's liberation on April the 15th, 1945, Ms. Kaplan approached Mr. Tyler, requesting him to inform her family in the United States about her survival. Making good on his promise, Mr. Tyler penned a letter, sparking correspondence with Ms. Kaplan's sister, Elizabeth, in the USA. In her response, Elizabeth Brandon said, I am infinitely happy to know that she is alive and well, and I will not rest until we are reunited. For Miss Kaplan, this outreach ushered in a continuation of wonderful experiences, culminating in her settling in the United States and reuniting with her surviving family. In a heartfelt message to Mr Tyler, she said, I met very many British soldiers, and I asked everybody to write to me, to my family, about me, but nobody did it. 
only you. Ms. Kaplan later became a successful entrepreneur in Houston, raising three children and establishing an international meat business. Throughout her life, she honoured Mr. Tyler's act of kindness and after retirement championed Holocaust education and philanthropy. Her life and legacy continue to educate through an educational programme initiated by her children at the Holocaust Museum in Houston. Mr. Tyler, having led an unassuming post-war life, remained eternally marked by Bergen-Belsen's horrors. Decades later, he publicly opposed Holocaust denial, standing with survivors and addressing national newspapers. Ursula Corcoran, director of the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum, said Letters from Liberation is a wartime story with a difference, focusing on an act of kindness and the courage of survival. Through Naomi and Arthur, we can remember the devastation that the Nazi regime inflicted on so many families, but we also see that humanity can shine through in the bleakest of situations. Original letters, historic photographs and first-hand reports will present a narrative of resilience and kindness amid historical despair. The exhibition opens on January the 27th, 2024, which is also Holocaust Memorial Day. And moving on, the next headline reads that a fifth of older people are not vaccinated against the flu. A fifth of patients aged 65 and over in Oxfordshire have not been vaccinated against influenza, new figures show. The NHS offers free flu jabs to the most vulnerable patients, such as those in older age groups, those with weaker immune systems or pregnant women. But new figures show 81% of 139,000 patients aged 65 and over in Oxfordshire had received a vaccine as of the end of November, with the remainder left more vulnerable to the illness. This was higher than the national average of 76% of people over 65 who had been given a vaccine across England as of the end of November, leaving just nearly a quarter of this group unvaccinated. Official guidance says vaccinations remain critically important, reducing the burden on the health service as it deals with regular winter pressures and the continued fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. Caroline Abrams, charity director at Age UK, urged older people to get vaccinated against flu and COVID-19. She said flu vaccines help protect against the main types of flu viruses. And although there's still a chance you might get flu even after vaccination, the symptoms are likely to be milder and more short-lived. With all the worries about the rising cost of living and energy prices, and with the additional pressures on the NHS at wintertime, it's more important than ever to stay fit and well this year, and getting these vaccinations will help, she added. Dr Mary Ramsey, Director of Public Health Programmes at UKHSA, said those eligible should speak to their GP, adding that many pharmacies offer free, bookable and walk-in vaccinations. Anne Safazar, Oxfordshire County Council's Director for Public Health, said while flu and COVID are often just an unpleasant inconvenience, they can be dangerous and even life-threatening for some people, particularly those with certain health conditions. The vaccination programme helps provide those who need the most protection with the help they need as soon as possible. Getting the vaccine not only gives you extra protection, 
but also helps to reduce the risk of passing on the virus to someone else. More than a thousand animals rehomed by County RSPCA. Almost 1,500 animals in Oxfordshire have been rehomed in the last decade, courtesy of the RSPCA. The news was released to commemorate the charity's 200th milestone anniversary, occurring in 2024. The RSPCA was born out of a simple gathering at a coffee house in London back in 1824. Now, as it approaches its bicentennial celebration, the charity aims to spearhead an initiative to inspire a one million strong movement for animals, encapsulating its mission to create a better world for every animal. Today in Oxfordshire, a squad of committed RSPCA rescuers tirelessly work towards rescuing animals, investigating cruelties against them and extending a helping hand to pet owners in need. RSPCA Oxfordshire, a separate branch of the charity supported by local funds, also operates within the region to rehabilitate and rehome rescued animals. According to the latest statistics, by the end of 2022, a notable count of 1,419 animals had been rehomed in the county. However, the challenges appear to be mounting. Animal neglect and abandonment are at an all-time high, with 72,050 reports received in 2023 alone. RSPCA Inspectorate Commissioner Dermot Murphy said we have even more animals in need of help coming into our care, but at the same time, rehoming has been declining sharply. We are also faced with increased bills and less donations due to the cost of living crisis, which is one of the biggest challenges facing animal welfare right now. And this economic hardship is continuing into our 20th anniversary year. He added... But we are determined to rise to the occasion and help animals and pet owners who need us more than ever. That's why we're currently asking supporters to join the Winter Rescue by donating to help our rescue teams reach the thousands of animals who desperately need them. Drawing upon the magnitude of global challenges such as factory farming, climate change and war, amongst others, Mr Murphy called for collective action. He said, in our 200th year, we want to inspire new one million people to join our movement to improve animals' lives. He added, we've been changing industries, laws, minds and animals' lives for 200 years. Together, there are actions, big and small, we can take to create a better world for every animal. RSPCA recruits public support to join the Winter Rescue. To become a part of their Million Strong Movement for Animals or for more information, visit www.rspca.org.uk forward slash 200. The local branches are independently funded and rely on public backing. Alcohol thieves suffered with masculinity problem. Two men who stole thousands of pounds worth of alcohol from supermarkets across Oxfordshire did so due to masculinity problems. Cameron Blake, 
page 21 and Cheyenne Webb 29, went on a campaign of shoplifting between February and August last year, stealing at least £12,407 worth of booze from Sainsbury's stores and £1,574 worth of booze from Waitrose. The pair had both been out of work at the time and had masculinity problems in that they wanted to provide for their respective families financially. Using trolleys filled with bags for life, the men would grab bottles of champagne, cognac, brandy and more and then walk out of the shop without paying. The alcohol would then be quickly sold on. Stores were targeted in Kidlington, Digcott, Wallingford, Whitney, Wantage, Beaconsfield, Maidenhead and Aylesbury. There were about 20 incidents of theft, with the maximum amount of alcohol stolen in one trip being 2,500. Both were handed a 14-month prison sentence at Oxford Crown Court on Wednesday. Blake of Blackthorn Road Digcott had his suspended for two years, while Webb of the Mere Benson was sent into immediate custody due to his previous offences. Blake was handed 150 hours of unpaid work, 12 days of rehabilitation activity, and will need to pay £425 in court costs. Sentencing, Judge Ian Pringle said, You both seem to be obsessed with the idea that being a good father means putting money into the household. Of course, that is an important thing, but to do so through crime does not make you a good father or husband. I would be failing in my duty if I did not conclude that this campaign of shoplifting is one that only merits a prison sentence. The pair sent his honour letters, which he accepted as expressing genuine remorse. Defending the duo, Barrister Alex Granville said they both have decision-making issues. Both of them talk about providing for the family, said Mr Granville. The masculinity issue that comes with it, but they realised that this was not the main part of their relationship. It is more about being for their families. The court heard that Blake has uh, no previous convictions and works part-time as a bathroom fitter. Mr Granville said he's a young man and has levels of immaturity. Webb has several previous convictions of a similar nature. He was completing unpaid work for a conviction of handling stolen goods at the time he was involved in a car accident in 2021, leaving him unemployed due to serious injuries. Online booking introduced as DIY waste fees are scrapped. Householders can now dispose of a certain amount of DIY waste for free at county's recycling centres as long as they book online in advance. The booking system was launched by Oxfordshire County Council this week. The move follows a change in government legislation which came into force last week. Oxfordshire County Council has charged for DIY waste for more than 20 years, with the current rates in place since October 2017. About a third of local authorities impose charges. The government hopes the move will reduce fly tipping. 
but the council estimates that scrapping the charges could cost taxpayers more than £500,000 a year. Dr Peter Sudbury, Cabinet Member for Climate Change, Delivery and Environment, said, We hope people will quickly get used to this new way of doing things and find it a convenient way of disposing of their free allocation of DIY waste. Residents will need to register their address, vehicle registration number, email address and the date they wish to visit, along with the site they wish to use for a single visit. Residents may be charged if they do not stick to their book date and only authorised bookings will be accepted. To give people time to adjust to the changes, site teams will operate flexibly during the first month. During January, people can deposit their free allowance of DIY waste without booking. And the next item reports that there has been a big increase in the number waiting for oral surgery. The waiting list for oral surgery in South East England has shot up by 27% in the last year. The latest research, conducted by Leila Moran and her Liberal Democrat team, reveals an increase from just over 39,000 to more than 49,000 people in the lists in this period. The research highlights areas where growth rates are particularly alarming. Among these is Oxfordshire, with a list consisting of 1,613 residents. Leila Moran, the MP for Oxford West and Abingdon, said, This shocking increase in waiting list numbers shows how our local health services are really struggling, thanks to years of underfunding by this Conservative government. With less and less access to NHS dentists, more people must resort to oral surgery as their dental condition worsens. The lack of government action to address this is utterly unacceptable as they continue to let patients down. She added, behind these statistics are so many people and families in the southeast who wait anxiously for surgery with far more than a bad taste in the mouth as their symptoms worsen. Every day the government makes it more and more clear that they are simply disinterested in our NHS and they're leaving patients to pay the price. Leila Moran expressed her disappointment, acknowledging these shocking figures as proof of the government letting down patients right across the southeast. She outlined the commitment of her Liberal Democratic colleagues towards tackling oral health inequalities. In their plan to shorten the growing waiting lists, they intend to bring about a reform in the NHS Dental Services contract. This, coupled with increasing funding, aims to meet patient demand and encourage dentists to serve NHS patients. Creating more UK-based dentist training places and recognising the qualifications of EU-trained dentists are also part of the proposal. £200,000 Police Fund invites applications. The Police and Crime Commissioner, PCC, has opened the first application round for the 2024 Community Fund worth £200,000. Jointly managed by the PCC and the Chief Constable, the fund is raised from proceeds of sold items seized from criminals, thereby turning the spoils of crime into a tool to combat it. This funding resource plays an instrumental role in bolstering local crime prevention efforts and the safeguarding of the community. 
PCC Matthew Barber said a total of £200,000 of grant funding is available for community and voluntary groups to apply for with the aim of reducing crime across the Thames Valley. He added, I look forward to receiving applications which focus on a range of areas within my police and criminal justice plan, including crime prevention, cybercrime and fraud, supporting victims and reducing reoffending. Chief Constable Jason Hogg said the Community Fund provides a biannual opportunity for community and voluntary groups to apply for funding in support of projects which support the key policing priorities in Thames Valley. Those interested in applying can find more information and the application form at www.thamesvalley.com pcc.gov.uk forward slash get hyphen involved forward slash community hyphen fund. Applications are open until noon on January the 29th, 2024, with both the PCC and the Chief Constable reviewing them jointly. Charity takes council to court again. A charity will launch another legal challenge in opposition to proposals for dozens of homes on the edge of ancient woodland. Rushy Bank lies in the Evenlode Valley in the Cotswold area of natural beauty, 400 metres from the edge of Charlbury. West Oxfordshire District Council, WODC, approved plans for 25 homes and a 12-bedroom support supported living facility at the site in November 2015. However, the decision was successfully challenged by conservationists who argued that the adjoining ancient woodland could not be protected and the planning consent was revoked by the High Court in July 2017. At the hearing, the judge said the council had displayed a material and significant misunderstanding of Natural England's advice, which referred to the need for a minimum 15-metre buffer around all ancient woodlands. Following some amendments, the application was then re-approved by WODC, subject to a legal agreement including parking details, a surface water drainage scheme and the construction management plan in January 2020. These included an obligation to build a minimum uh, five-metre buffer, although the charity warned that the plans remained in breach of policy and national guidance. The charity also claims the development was commenced unlawfully. In the latest application, which has received hundreds of objections comments online, the developer replaces the 12-bed supported living facility with 12 dwellings. Meanwhile, Friends of the West Oxfordshire Cotswolds uh, has been granted permission for another judicial review hearing. A date has been set for Jan the 16th. A High Court judge has granted the charity permission to challenge the council on all of the four grounds that it has set out. The charity said the affected woodland has already been ruthlessly felled in advance of attempts to start the development and the woodlands replanting has still not been started. James Whitehead, a trustee of the charity, said, 
Ancient woodlands are some of our most precious natural resources. The District Council needs to take a lead in protecting it rather than being at the forefront of consenting to its harm. At the moment they are using taxpayers' money to defend a position which we think is undefensible. The Woodland Trust is supporting the charity. It said ancient woodlands are in replaceable cornerstone uh, of the British landscape. Hundreds of ancient woods across the UK are currently threatened from new development and it is often left to local people and community groups to do what they can to protect them. We are buoyed by the care and love that FOWOC have shown for their local ancient woodland. West Oxfordshire District Council has been contacted for comment. It has previously denied any flaw in its approval. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several ways to listen to all of our editions, including magazines. Full details can be found on our website, wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link to Listen Online. If on any week you do not receive your stick or there is a problem with producing them, you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993-555-986. Keep listening at the end of this edition for the radio and audio described TV listenings. That's actually all we have time for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Just a reminder that this is a free service from the post office and the package can be placed in any post box. Please post it back as soon as possible as we sometimes run out of pouches and labels which means that we cannot continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, please put a slip of paper into your pouch and we will then phone you. I'd like to thank the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used tonight. Thanks also go to our technical expert, Gavin Smalley, and also to Byron Russell and John Ashwell, who will be copying this material onto the memory sticks and posting them out to you. In addition, we'd also like to thank our admin volunteers who have checked the pouches and memory sticks you returned and keeping the records in our register. They're Doreen Turner and Shirley Rawlings. Finally, thanks go to our four readers tonight, Melissa Ellis, Byron Russell, Jenny Wiley and John Ashwell. I know everyone would like to say goodbye, so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting on Saturday, January 13th. And a variation on a theme of talking to strangers on a train. The comedian Alexi Sale builds a programme around his encounters with a variety of travellers on a train journey from Shrewsbury to Pwelly. There's entertaining conversations found on Radio 4 at 10.30 in the morning. In Alexi Sales, Strangers on a Train. 
Mobile phones are now, of course, a fact of life, but you can still cause surprises, as is the case for young Nick Perry, who's playing with his dad's phone in 2009, finds himself talking to a stranger, Jim Giller, in New York in 1959. They're both struggling to write plays and communicate across time and space about their creative challenges. As they do so, the mystery deepens about how does Giller know so much about Perry's life? This intriguing play is entitled The Loop. It's the drama on Radio 4 Extra at four o'clock on Saturday. Opera, love it or loathe it, depending on your reaction, you may wish to disregard what follows, or give it a try. Labo M on Radio 3 at 6.30 from New York's Metropolitan Opera House. Enthusiasts will be familiar with the story, but for newcomers, a very approachable way to engage with opera as we meet the young artists who are struggling to make a living, falling in and out of love, enjoying high times and low. The opera has been Puccini's most perfectly shaped score with memorable tunes which capture perfectly the range of emotions these young bohemians go through. On to Sunday, January 14th, and we begin with a conversation about the world's collaborative fungi systems. Hang on there. Merlin Sheldrake is not only an expert on fungi, but a pianist and composer, and according to the Radio Times, shares with his interview Michael Barclay, one of the most gentle, intoxicating male voices. The programme is Private Passions on Radio 3 at 12 noon on Sunday. Merlin shares with Michael his musical choices, which include Bach, Chopin, Purcell and Talis. What do George Formby and Beethoven's Ode to Joy have in common? Well, the answer, the ukulele. George made a living out of his comedy performances, often featuring his ukulele. And in 2009, at the Royal Albert Hall, hundreds of ukulele players performed Ode to Joy. In British primary schools, it's now the most widely taught instrument. And learn from its journey from Blackpool Pier to the Royal Albert Hall, the listening service, Radio 3, Sunday afternoon at 5pm. Two of the most talented actors, Tom Hollander and Anna Maxwell Martin, read from poetry and prose on the theme of scent and perfume, from Marie Antoinette's perfume to Romeo and Juliet, onto Cyanide in a Poirot story and much in between. The music ranges far and wide from Chopin to Edith Piaf. Words of music, Radio 3, 5.30pm. On to programmes then that are broadcast all week, same time, same radio station, starting from Monday. So starting from Monday, the 15th of January, same time every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Book of the week is Andrew Leland reads from his revelatory book about losing his sight. In the first eight tract, he describes how he realised his sight was deteriorating in his teens. The Country of the Blind is on Radio 4, all week, 9.45am. Radio 3's Composer of the Week at noon is Felix Mendelssohn. Donald MacLeod spends the week exploring the composer's experiences in Britain and the mark he left on musical life in these islands. Mendelssohn, Composer of the Week, 12 noon, Radio 3. We can challenge the often made assumption about how young people tend to vote, and that challenge is explored during the week on Radio 4 at 1.45 in the afternoon all week, the kids are alt-right. Professor James Tilley investigates the role young people play in the successes of radical right parties in elections across Western Europe. It would appear that age might not define voting habits. Those who tune in to Book of Bedtime, Radio 4, 10.45, will find, according to the Radio Times, a wistful coming-of-age story and a tender portrait of grief in all its complexities. The book this week 
is The Old Haunts by Alan Radcliffe, Book of Bedtime, Radio 4, 10.45. On to then Monday, January 15th, and a programme that actually is broadcast over three days, starting on Monday, a dramatisation which will appeal to lovers of the novels of Henry James. Written in 1881, James introduces Isabel Archer, who arrives from her native America, and whose intelligence and independent spirit challenges many of the Victorian assumptions of how ladies should conduct themselves. The portrait of the lady is on Monday on Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock and continues on Tuesday and Wednesday. On to Tuesday, January 16th. If you're squeamish, maybe the sounds of an autopsy on a red kangaroo is not something you particularly want to listen to. But the expert presenters learn about the anatomy of this largest of the marsupial family and share with us their excitement at looking at the tiny hands in front of the front legs, the three wombs and the pouch designed to nurture up to three joeys at a time. Wild inside is the red kangaroo on Radio 4 at 11am. Does sound slightly fascinating. And Wild Geese is a poem that many claim saved their lives with its message of hope and redemption. The poet who wrote it, Mary Oliver, subject of Matthew Paris's Great Lives, which examines her life and work. Great Lives is on Radio 4 at 4.30 on Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday, January 17th. And whatever we pack when we go abroad has to include a passport, the indispensable document that gives us licence to travel and help define the modern world. It's become an instrument of personal freedom as well as a tool of government surveillance. The history of this invaluable piece of identity examined by Laurie Taylor in Thinking Aloud, the passport on Radio 4 on Wednesday at four in the afternoon. No prizes for guesses who created these female characters, Lady Macbeth, Desdemona, Portia, Viola, but what of the actual women in Shakespeare's life? Anne McElvoy hears about the latest research which includes a study of Juliet, his first tragic heroine, and Ellen Terry, the actress who did so much to promote his legacy in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. This promises to be a fascinating insight into Shakespeare's personal and creative life. And you can hear it in Free Thinking on Radio 3 on Wednesday at 10pm. Thursday, January 18th, and something that causes heated debate about many is the plight of asylum seekers. Last year, the biggest influx into the EU since 2016 took place, a route through the Balkans has become increasingly important. The presenter Nick Thorpe travels to northwest Bulgaria to meet the people we rarely hear about, the smugglers. Crossing Continents, Bulgaria, The Smuggler's Tale, is on Thursday on Radio 4 at 11am. Many people will need to think clearly in the minutes ahead. Much will depend on you, lives even. Imagine being woken up before dawn by a telephone call like this, an intimate female voice lacking any compassion. The instructions above are given to a college professor instructed to empty his building before a missile attack designed to flatten it. Ron Hutchinson's drama is written in response to the conflict in Gaza, but it could be anywhere, any time. This powerful work is on Thursday afternoon, Radio 4, it's called The Call, and it's the drama at 2.15. Back to Shakespeare, this time comedy, the fire that marked the end of his career. Jane Horrocks and Jasper Britton star in Shakespeare's Fire, Radio 4 Extra, 3 o'clock on Thursday. On to Friday, January 19th, and there are many who believe that the environment and nature 
are now under serious threat. Environmentalist Tom Heap and physicist Helen Chersky tackle stories about these issues and work out how things got to become the way they are. They meet those with fresh ideas of how to help people and nature thrive, a programme of great importance to all of us and to those who come after us. You can find it on Radio 4 on Friday, just after the midday news, on Radio 4, Rare Earth, Leave Nature Alone. The Radio Times writes, Never mind Downton, what about Knoll, one of England's biggest country houses and home to the Sackvilles? The afternoon drama on Radio 4 Extra, Pepita's Daughter, is on at three o'clock and it stars Diana Quick as Victoria Sackville, whose extraordinary life was even more tempestuous and exotic than that of her daughter, Vita. Radio 4 Extra, three o'clock, Pepita's Daughter. And lastly, a celebration of radio drama. Michael Simmons Roberts looks at the collaborative art of radio drama, selecting examples from the last hundred years that reflect the many features of the genre that help distinguish it from other narrative forms. You can hear it, Archive on 4, Dramatic Beats, Radio 4, Friday night, 9pm. That's it, thank you to Terry for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello, this is Helen from Wharfdale Talking News. With Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 13th to Friday the 19th of January 2024. Starting with Saturday the 13th of January. Newly qualified vet Patrick tends to a cow struggling with a difficult labour in Mountain Vets on BBC Two at five past ten this morning. Asian cuisine is on the menu in the Great Food Guys at 11.30am on BBC One. Next, we visit Hong Kong, where real estate is the most expensive in the world and some residents live in tiny spaces no larger than a cupboard. World's Busiest Cities is on BBC Two at 4.30pm. In the first of a triple bill of Midsummer Murders, starting at 5pm on ITV3, Barnaby and Jones investigate the secretive world of Midsummer's magic circle. Two more episodes follow at 7pm and 9pm. The biceps have been burnished and those sculpted torsos squeezed into spandex. Yes, the all-action game show Gladiators is back on BBC One at 5.50pm. The Geordie duo present the quiz show with a potentially infinite cash jackpot. Anton Deck's Limitless Win is on ITV1 at 8.30pm. In this week's visit to the Saturday Night Hospital drama, security is tightened up. Star has a big decision to make and an injured asylum seeker needs treatment. Casualty is on BBC One at 9.20. Although not audio described, you may enjoy listening to guests Kenneth Williams, Maggie Smith and John Betjeman in a 1973 edition of Parkinson at 11.40pm on BBC Four. Now on to Sunday the 14th of January. Sunday with Laura Koonsberg featuring interviews with politicians and key public figures is on BBC One at 9am. Two films on Channel 4 this afternoon, starting with the romantic comedy Sleepless in Seattle, starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan at 3pm on Channel 4. This is followed by the Radio Times Film of the Day, a musical biopic of circus inventor P.T. Barnum, The Greatest Showman, is at 545 on Channel 4. 
11 remaining potters attempt to make their own version of a fish-shaped jug in this week's episode of The Great Pottery Throwdown on Channel 4 at 7.45pm. Sheila and Joyce oversee the care of an expectant mother whose home is riddled with damp in Call the Midwife on BBC One at 8pm. ECI Stanhope investigates a puzzling case when the body of a young girl is found by the side of an isolated railway crossing. Vera is on ITV1 at 8pm. Reeling from their discovery, Elliot and Helen decide to go and meet with his family to flush out the truth in the drama The Tourist on BBC One at 9pm. Here are those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.30, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Doctors is at 1.45 but not on Friday and Escape to the Country is at 3pm. All these programmes are on BBC One. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV One at 2pm, Monday to Friday. Downton Abbey is on ITV Three at 5.45, Monday and Tuesday, 5.25 Wednesday, 4.50 Thursday and 5.30 Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV3 at 6.50 Monday and Tuesday, 6.55 Wednesday and Thursday and 7pm Friday. Seven Worlds, One Planet is on BBC4 at 7pm Monday to Thursday. Let's see what's on offer for Monday the 15th of January. It's time to give your brain cells their weekly workout tonight, starting with Mastermind at 7.30pm and then University Challenge at 8.30pm, both on BBC Two. The team's investigation into a suspected suicide raises more questions than it answers in the first episode of this week's two-part drama, Silent Witness, on BBC One at 9pm. Part two is at the same time tomorrow. The second week of the reality series introduces our intrepid group of backpacking Brits to the harsh realities of the Australian Outback. Australian Outback, Brits Down Under is on Channel 4 at 10pm. Now for an Arabic documentary that investigates Yemen's nine-year civil war and finds evidence that points to the United Arab Emirates hiring mercenaries to conduct targeted assassinations of its political enemies in Yemen. In Yemen American Mercenaries, Killing in Yemen is on BBC Two at 11.15pm. Moving on to Tuesday the 16th of January. Shola tells a lie which spirals out of control and when her new obsession is exposed, it sends shockwaves through the school in tonight's episode of the drama Waterloo Road at 8pm on BBC One. Several choices at nine tonight. Events continue to spiral at the university in the second episode of Silent Witness on BBC One at nine. Greg Wallace visits a factory that makes stuffed pasta in tonight's episode of Inside the Factory on BBC Two at nine. In tonight's documentary, ITV News correspondent Robert Moore examines Donald Trump's controversial 2024 presidential campaign despite being charged with federal and state crimes. Trump, The Return, is on ITV One at 9pm. Six people from across Britain, all living with obesity, travel the globe to find out if learning about different attitudes to food can help them become healthier. 
Around the World in 80 Ways is on Channel 4 at 9pm. On to Wednesday the 17th of January. Dave Myers and Cy King head out to Pembrokeshire in the Hairy Bikers Go Local at 7pm on BBC Two. A huge clock, a rusty toy pedal car, a ceramic canine and a well-worn cap are brought into the repair shop on BBC One at 8pm. Kirsty and Phil travel to Warwickshire to help Jill and John decide whether to keep or sell their inherited two-bedroom home in Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It on Channel 4 at 8pm. The psychological reality show reaches the halfway point and the players are facing their biggest challenge yet. The Traitors is on BBC One at 9pm and the companion show The Traitors Uncloaked follows at 10pm on BBC Two. Phil makes a shocking discovery. Meanwhile, Aisha is closing in on her in the penultimate episode of the drama True Love on Channel 4 at 9pm. The late night film is a musical romantic drama, A Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga on BBC One at 10.40pm. Let's have a look at Thursday, the 18th of January. This week's guest dragon, former Manchester United and England star Gary Neville, joins the team as more entrepreneurs seek investment in tonight's episode of Dragon's Den at 8pm on BBC One. Jack takes a 200-mile detour to help an old friend recover a stash of stolen guns in the Australian whodunit, Darby and Joan, on the Drama Channel at 8pm. We have a variety of choices at 9 tonight. After a shocking round table the previous evening, things get heated after breakfast. Episode 8 of The Traitors is at 9pm on BBC One, and as usual, The Traitors Uncloaked follows at 10pm on BBC Two. Reporter Jane Corbyn travels to Scotland to examine the strategy behind Britain's nuclear deterrent and meets campaigners against US weapons in Suffolk in the documentary Nuclear Armageddon, How Close Are We? on BBC Two at 9pm. Will is involved in a fatal collision and accused of manslaughter in tonight's episode of the drama Grantchester at 9pm on ITV1. Phil and Ken are left reeling by what they've discovered in the final episode of the drama True Love on Channel 4 at 9. Finally, we come to Friday the 19th of January. As Brenda faces ghosts from her past, she becomes embroiled in a local dispute that ends in murder. Episode 3 of the new series of Father Brown is on BBC One at 1.45pm. My next choice isn't audio described, but the Radio Times review says, You'll roar with laughter. Amal Rajan talks to Dame Sheila Hancock about her life, work and passions, beginning with her childhood in London's East End. Sheila Hancock, Amal Rajan Interviews, is on BBC Two at 7pm. The RNLI volunteers race to save three people in the water in the Bristol Channel in Saving Lives at Sea on BBC Two at 7.45pm. A Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur lets a graffiti artist and a living jungle wall take over his Victorian house and a couple in Essex attempt to extend their distinctive 1960s property without spoiling it. Extraordinary Extensions is on Channel 4 at 8pm. 
Amanda and Alan turn their attention to the great outdoors as they tackle the overgrown garden in Amanda and Alan's Italian job on BBC One at 8.30pm. Another victim is revealed in tonight's episode of The Traitors on BBC One at 9pm. Tonight's late night film follows a US bomb disposal squad's last 38 days of their tour in Iraq. The Oscar winning thriller The Hurt Locker is on BBC One at 11.30pm. I hope you find something to enjoy from this week's selection of programmes. TNF Soundings. 